This is the Integrated Human Podcast. I'm your host, Skylar Lee Soccer, and I interview people who have undergone adversity in life and came out on the other side as a better person. The people on this show may not exactly make you feel good, but they will impart wisdom far beyond the measures of comfort as they share their stories of failures, success, and personal growth. So let's learn and become better together. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Integrated Human Podcast. Today, we got a wonderful guest who has an amazing story, and I think you're really going to enjoy and learn a lot from her. So Elizabeth Worm, she works as a recruiter by day, and she's an Enneagram teacher by night. You're going to be blown away by what that means if you don't know what it it is right now. Uh, She has a depth of amazing experience from operating a theater business and also has been battling Crohn's disease. Um, This episode is going to be jam-packed, so please welcome Elizabeth Worm. Thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks, Skylar. It's great to be here. Most definitely. So it's been, you know, I would say two months, I think, since we've last spoke. You know, what has really changed within your business and your routine now that we live a more quarantined uh, type of world? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I feel like I was preparing myself for quarantine before I even knew that I was. Um, I had a meeting with my mentor in early February, and I was feeling overwhelmed with all the commitments that I have, because I'm one of those overdoers, overextenders, you know, try to do everything that sounds fun and interesting and moves my career forward and meet all the people. Um, and I met with her and, and said, you know, I feel like I'm addicted to doing, and I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor to take things away from me, because no matter how hard I try to take things off my plate, I look at my plate and it's still full. Like I keep trying, like trying so hard to rest and learn what it means to rest. I've read all these books on resting um, and it doesn't matter how many books I've read. I'm not actually practicing the rest that I really want. So she, um, she is the type of personality who is really great at being like, um, yeah, let's do, let's just look at your list. And she's just like, okay, you can cross this off. You're no longer doing this. You can cross this off. You're no longer do this. Like just kind of checking things off being like, nope, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. And it was such a relief for her to do that. So I had already canceled a few things that I was leading and another class that I was teaching was wrapping up, um, kind of, uh, end of February. And so then everything started happening with, coronavirus and um, the quarantine and more things got canceled, things that I hadn't even intended to get canceled. And while I felt a disappointment, I also felt a relief, um, especially for my body. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, I have Crohn's disease. It's an autoimmune where my immune system um, thinks my, my gut is foreign and attacks it <laughs> by day and by night. And usually stress triggers that. And so I've been really, that's one of the reasons I've been looking into all sorts of things, um, mindfulness activities, meditation. Um, I learned a lot from learning about the Enneagram and some blind spots that I had about just taking care of myself as a human. Um, And so I've been trying to put all those into practice, but sometimes putting all those things into practice looks a lot like doing a whole hell of a lot. (laughs) And then you're back in where you started doing too many things. So. Another one of my mentors told me, she was like, you are limited to 30 minutes a day on self-improvement. 30 minutes a day, that's all you get. You cannot improve yourself for more than 30 minutes a day. (laughs) 
So honestly, this quarantine life, I have no commitments after 5 p.m. I'm done with work. I shut my laptop and I sometimes look out the window. I've watched several sunsets. I um, go on a 30 minute walk every day with my favorite Harry Potter podcast. And I'm kind of like rereading the Harry Potter books through binge mode, Harry Potter. I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but it's just, it's something that Brene Brown talks a lot about how rest and play is just as essential to adults as it is for kids. And, and it's the birthplace of creativity is when we're resting and we're playing. So I've been trying to find intentional ways to play without making it an item to check off on my to-do list. And so like this Harry Potter podcast, doing a walk with just something so fun. And so it doesn't generate anything productive. It's just literally for fun. It's actually been really, really delightful. Like one of the highlights of my day is to go on this walk with a Harry Potter podcast. And then I come home and sometimes cook dinner, maybe sometimes watch TV. I've also taken up coloring. Um, instead of scrolling through my phone endlessly at night while I'm watching TV, I've started coloring and practicing calligraphy and just like little other things that I've been, I don't know, just trying to be, allow for some creativity, allow for some play. And that has been really good for my soul. That's awesome. I would have to agree that, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are learning to are, are learning right now from who I've talked to myself, my close friends and people all over the world is that it's bringing them back to a more stabilized, more, I would say, rational way of living the way we've kind of been living. We deem it as rational, you know, work as much, build this crazy future. We might not have, you know, stack up all the money, do all these things sleep six hours only because then you have two, three more hours of extra work time. Um, you know, we've kind of forgotten how to be people and kind of right. just become working machines. And I've seen it, that it's grounded us back into a more uh, altruistic form of living. So we get to enjoy the simple things like coloring, you know, I've been going on bike rides every day myself, right. um, getting more creative with music as well. So that's really cool that you're getting to reap the rewards um, of this quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely am very grateful for the position that I'm in. I know, um, like, I don't have any small children, and I know several of my friends have small kids, and they are not having a very restful quarantine. I mean, they are, they are really feeling the busyness and, and just the constant noise and constant activity. Um, and so I've been trying to, to be there for them in small ways, um, sending care packages of new coloring books or something to their kids just to help them get a moment of rest. Um, but I am very grateful that I, that I do have the opportunity to try to make the most of this really, this situation that produces a lot of anxiety in the world right now um, and a lot of fear. So trying to find ways to be a human being, like you said, and not a human doing. <laughs> totally. I just, I just took that down as a quote. That was really, really good. You know, making the most out of the situation, which is per usual causing anxiety and finding a way to channel that back to peace. Um, I've noticed that. I mean, people are, people are actually freaking out, you know, and I wrote an article the other day called maintaining a monk mindset that was really focused on like how to be calm AF during this time. <laughs> and I have a degree, you know, like I've been preparing for like some crazy stuff to happen. So now that it is, I'm just like, all right, what are you, what do we do now through the journey? Yeah. You know, we work on keeping our stress low because stress is the, one of the top reasons why we break down our immune system, right. lead to an illness, you know, making sure we get outside and enjoy some sunshine, 
because that boosts our immune system and make sure we have good uh, routine of eating um, to keep our gut safe and, you know, mitigate any possibility of illness, which I already kind of neurotically do, you know, <laughs> this experience. So yeah. um, we just get to practice it and we to put it more in motion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think finding ways to connect with people, um, thank goodness for technology, you know, that that's still up and working like Zoom. And, and I use a lot of Marco Polo apps um, or videos through the Marco Polo app. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I am a really spiritual person. So I um, started a group on Marco Polo where we swap Bible verses every day. It's just like this bunch of streams of videos with a bunch of people. And we're just like, finding verses that have to do with peace or calm or like everything's going to work out like you know kinds of things just um that's something that I also listen to before bed which just, it helps calm my anxious mind um so finding creative ways to connect with people even though we can't be in person um that's that's something I've been trying to be intentional about that's awesome um I think this is a great time to transition to um you know with this subject is to transition into your experience with you know being an enneagram teacher and how this kind of ties in all that stuff you learn ties into what people are dealing with right now on earth yeah yeah totally so the enneagram is an ancient spiritual wisdom tool um traces back to you know three thousand years maybe um the concepts do so basically the concept of the enneagram you have nine stereotypical fears um human fears um, and human desires. So every fear comes with a desire. And you can trace it back to um, Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, the themes, these nine, Odyssey, uh, Odysseus travels to nine lands and has to battle, he has like a challenge or an obstacle that has to do with these nine fears, these nine vices and virtues, and in the same order that they come in the Enneagram. So like these themes and concepts have been around for a really long time. Um, they came to the Americas in the 1970s and were published by a group of Jesuits um, and then started being taught more prevalently. So it's really kind of become more modernized now. Um, but what's really cool about it is basically shows you blind spots of yourself. So I know some people don't like personality tests because they feel like it puts a label on them and they're like, I'm more than this label. What I found the Enneagram does actually is it shows you that it awakens you to show you the box you've been living in and that you actually have the autonomy and the freedom to get outside of that box. If you want, you don't have to. And so it uses the psychology of we all have an ego that we've developed um, in childhood that is there to help defend us to get our needs met to provide comfort and protection and the ego operates kind of um on an autopilot it, it does its job for a while until we find ourselves in kind of cyclical negative patterns that <laughs> we're like wow this is really predictable how did i end up in this spot again and it's because in the enneagram the theory is that we have three centers of intelligence we have a feeling center a thinking center and a doing center and everyone has all three centers and the goal is to be as a balanced human to feel your feelings to think your thoughts and to do your actions however at some point in our childhood one of those centers got the message that it was unwanted or rejected in some way and so it retreats to the back and we proceed our ego proceeds to move through life getting our needs met and defending us from threats with only two of the three centers when they're doing overtime work they're working to 
feel your thoughts or to do your feelings or something like that. And so you kind of become an unbalanced three-legged stool where one of the legs is shortened or missing. So what's really interesting is there are nine types. Each type has a unique fear and a unique desire. They're unconscious motivations that motivate our behaviors. And so that's why I don't necessarily recommend Enneagram tests because Enneagram tests have you do a multiple choice about your behaviors. And maybe you and I are both innovative people and we could both click the same thing on, yeah, we, we like to innovate, we like to be creative. Well, why? Why are we innovative and creative? What is the reason behind, what is our motivation for being creative? Is it because we really need success? Success is what um, gives us worth. Is it because we want people to want us? Is it because we're trying to avoid pain and creative fun ideas help avoid that inevitable pain that we might feel someday? There's so many reasons to be creative and innovative. And so it helps you understand yourself a little more when you ask why, why? And so when you get down to it and you realize, oh my goodness, this unconscious fear has been driving my life. My ego has been in the driver's seat of my car. I'm in the passenger seat, so I'm along for the ride. But I'm not necessarily making all of the choices that I actually want to make when I think about it. So if you um, want to know a little bit about me, my unconscious fear is of being unwanted. Now, every human in some capacity probably wants to be wanted, but mine is really, really driving. And so um, the type that I am, I'm a type two, which means that I am afraid of being unwanted and rejected. And so I want to be loved and desired and wanted. So my tactic to get those needs met is to become a helpful person because who doesn't want a helpful person in their life? If I can figure out what you want and help you get that, why wouldn't you want me in your life? So that I've realized has been the pattern in my whole life. And it actually ended up making me completely exhausted because what I do, my three centers of intelligence, I take in the world through the feeling lens. I see everyone else's feelings. I interpret those feelings and then I do something about it. Whether or not it's actually mine to do, <laughs> whether or not they asked me for help, whether or not I should help them, but I just, I feel their feelings and then I instantly, it's like it triggers, my feeling center just triggers my doing center and then I go do it. And mm, I'm kind of exhausted after doing things for everyone else all day long. And I haven't done anything for myself. Um, and I realized I haven't been thinking productively. So what it looks like is to bring up my, my thinking center, which I'm unpracticed at doing, um, is to have a feeling because I'm always going to see the world through the feeling lens. I'm going to see people's emotions, their agendas, interpersonal, interpersonal interactions. That's what I mean when I say feelings. I'm going to take all of that in. But if I can stop for a second, if I can kind of halt and, and ask myself some thoughts, is this mine to do? Does this person even want my help? And what, if anything, do I want in return? Because what I've realized is often my helpfulness comes with strings attached. Mm -hmm. If I bake you a birthday cake, Skylar, and you're like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I really love this birthday cake. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, aren't I such a good friend? And then my birthday comes around and you didn't bake me a birthday cake. I am pissed. 
but I don't tell you that I'm pissed. I'm just resentful because you did not pay me back. You weren't as good of a friend as I was. And so then I try even harder to get my need met. And then I throw you a freaking birthday party and I go like even harder and I just keep doing things for you until maybe you'll sense that maybe you need to do something for me. And most people don't sense that about like, they don't, they can't read my thoughts, right? That's not their job. Um, because if I were to ask you directly, Hey Skylar, birthdays mean a lot to me. Would you consider baking me a birthday cake? So I don't have to bake it myself that well that would probably be a lot more productive asking you directly but it also opens up the door for me to be rejected if you say no elizabeth i i can't or i don't want to that's not something i want to do then i take that so personally i've realized i take that personally and i take that as a rejection of my whole being and not just you just don't have time this week you have a lot going on you can't make me a birthday <laughs> so that is that whole cycle of I'm feeling something and I do it and I don't think about it. I don't think about it critically. I don't look at the actual logical, rational patterns and analyze things. I just feel it all and I do it all, which left me exhausted and resentful and then sick because actually my personality type, there's a correlation between the type two and chronic pain and chronic illness, mm. because we overdo things that are not our job to do in trying to make ourselves indispensable in our workplace, in our relationship, we become very codependent in our unhealthy levels. And we don't take care of ourselves. We don't think about the food we're eating. We don't get enough sleep. Um, we don't prioritize feeling good or or being unavailable. That's something I've been practicing. It's a very small thing, but whenever my phone dings and I see I have a text, a little, a little alert in my ego is like, oh, you're needed. Elizabeth, they want you. You're needed. Like you should answer right away so they don't ask somebody else and stop needing you. And so it's like this compulsive need to respond right away and be available so that they don't go away. Yeah. But I've been practicing being unavailable. So maybe for an hour, I will not respond because I'm in the middle of something that I need to get done. And if I keep being reactive and responding to everyone that asks me, I'm not going to get any of my own work done, which is mine to do. And yep. so by prioritizing things and saying, okay, actually, these are the things that I'm actually getting paid to do. These are the things I want to do. My needs are important because that's a message that the type two hears in their childhood is that for some reason, your needs aren't important. They're not as high priority as everyone else's. And so realizing, okay, when is it okay to prioritize my need, get my work done, take care of myself. So then I'm full and able to then give generously and altruistically without the strings attached. So that's been a little bit of insight that the Enneagram has given to me, which I had no clue that I was doing those things. But when I read about myself in the books and the podcasts, I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. That's awesome. Wow, that was deep. I think one thing that's really resonating with me right now specifically is that last part about, you know, responding to somebody, you know, quick. And it's, that's interesting. You bring that up because a lot of people would be like, you need to respond to these people quick, you know, and your business relies upon it. It shows that you care. And it seems like everybody is really in that type two addiction state of mm. having to respond really quick to everybody because this piece of technology also triggers that dopamine release. Like, Oh, somebody wants me. Ooh, somebody comment on my post. Oh, they're kind yeah. of upset about what I said. I should probably hurry up and respond back and make sure that they don't think that I'm an idiot first. Um, and, uh, you know, I even witnessed myself do that. So I might share that same characteristic as you do. 
Yeah. And it really comes down to a lack of boundaries. And I think all personality types can, t can have to work on setting boundaries. Some people set boundaries, um, too much. Like they, they bring their boundaries in. So I heard, I think it was Brene Brown who made this, who made this analogy about a playground. So kids on a playground, there's like this whole wood chip area, you know, the jungle gyms in the middle, it's kind of backs up next to a road and the kids are all playing on the playground, but none of the kids are really spread out. They're not really enjoying the whole playground. Um, so then they build a fence. They build a fence that kind of encloses the playground, makes it a little safe. It makes it separated from the road. And what they found is the kids spread out and used every inch of the playground area, not just sticking to the jungle gym, because they knew where they were allowed to go, where it was safe to go, and where it wasn't safe to go on the road. And by the lack of boundary, they didn't know where the boundary really was lie. And so they just stuck as close as possible to the playground. So there are some people, it's really interesting to look at the Enneagram at the nine personalities and see how each of the types handles setting boundaries, because there's one personality type that hoards, they're so afraid they're, they're going to lose their boundaries. So they, they're, they're sticking to the jungle gym, right? They're, they're just sticking there and they think that the jungle gym is their boundary when actually there's a, there's more than they think there's more space. They think they can let more people in and we'll be okay. You can play on the whole playground area. Me, I am like, as far as I go, as long as no one stops me, I'm going to keep doing, you didn't ask me to clean your house today, but I'm going to clean it. Cause you're not stopping me. And so like, I'm like, down the road, across the park, like I'm all the way because no one ever told me where the boundary was. And so, um, so it's helpful for me to learn other people's boundaries and not take them personally, but also for me to learn how to set my own boundaries. And that's not me being mean or selfish. It's actually provides space for me to give more generously and more compassionately because then I don't feel like I'm taken advantage of later when somebody does take too much because I haven't set a clear boundary. And so I think boundaries with our time, with our phones, with our emails, with our availability to people, you know, um, some people it's easier for them to, to clear cut, shut their phone off, work on a project, get it done, prioritize things. But um, for other people, they're, they're not as great about that. So like even, even just recently as part of this, um, as part of my, trying to be more intentional in this time, I set my screen time app on the iPhone to turn off all my social media apps at 10 PM. Mm. Um, and now I can override that with my password if I want, but it's a helpful tool that's like, no, actually, like if someone sends you a message, you can respond tomorrow morning at 7 AM, but 10 PM to 7 AM is your time by yourself. And that's okay. <laughs> and it, it makes me, and that's like where I've, I've, I'm coloring, I'm being creative, I'm getting more sleep. Um, I don't feel as um, exhausted because I'm responding to people. So I don't know, boundaries, um, Brene Brown talks a lot about boundaries and um, basically says it's, it's, this is okay, this is what's okay and this is what's not okay. And I've I've realized that's another part of my personality traits that I have never really considered saying, Hey, this is not okay. Because I'm afraid people will then be like, Oh, well then we don't want to hang out with you. Bye. And, um, and that's another way that I get exhausted is because I constantly going over my own boundaries and, uh, and then reaping the consequences of that. So by 
finding small ways to set boundaries. You like turning off my phone for an hour and getting a project done and feeling like I'm not giving all my time away to everybody. And they don't even realize that I feel like I've been giving things that are not really mine to give. That's awesome. Extremely powerful. We just went, we went way deep into that there. So thank you for <laughs> diving and diving into that and bringing it back to the surface. Cause I think people will find a lot of, a lot of value in that for sure. Yeah. So do you think, you know, it's kind of a real question. How does your experience with the Enneagram tie into your battle with Crohn's disease? And where have you found lessons that have taught you proper boundaries that have maybe made it easier um, for you to biologically stay healthy? Yeah. I think the main thing is that my needs are important. Um, I didn't realize that that was a thing that I had been unconsciously believing is that my needs are not as important as other people's needs. And um, so for instance, like at, at work, if um, I'd used to travel a lot for work and I would be traveling with my team and they'd be like, Hey, let's go get dinner. Well, I'm gluten and dairy free because that um, gluten and dairy add an extra inflammation into my body that I don't need because I have already a ton of inflammation in my gut. And so they're like, okay, let's go get a restaurant. Now it's hard for me to speak up and be like, can we make sure it's a place that I can eat? <laughs> because then I feel like a burden. And then I feel like nobody wants to hang out with somebody who's a burden. So it's hard for me to speak up and say, actually, this is what I need. Or um, sleep is just as important, if not more than eating well uh, with Crohn's, especially like I could eat all the right things and get no sleep and my body would be a wreck. And so um, sometimes it's um, calling it a night and be like, hey guys, I'm, I know that we have a long night, you know, we, we have a happy hour or whatever, and maybe it's just going for one, one hour and then saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go home because I know that I need to do that for my body. Um, even though socially I want to be there um, and afraid that I'm like, I have serious FOMO, like I'm really afraid I'm going to miss out on something fun that's happening. But realizing if I don't prioritize my own physical needs, I will have physical ramifications and be unable to work if I don't take care of myself, which includes sleep and food, <laughs> like, like those types of things. I mean, I didn't ever prioritize before. I just dealt with the consequences because I was, you know, it wasn't that bad, but now it's bad. And so, I mean, well, it was bad. I've been prioritizing those things. Um, for a while now. And even though it's hard, I'm getting better at speaking up and, um, and saying no, to, just to myself. It's not that the world is telling me that my needs are not important. That's just kind of the unconscious shame message that I, that my ego kind of has picked up to try to protect me. But sometimes we have to look at our ego and be like, thank you for the information, but I'm going to be in the driver's seat now. You can stay in the passenger seat and let me know what signs you see on the road. But this information is not all correct. It's not the whole picture, you know? And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say thank you and you're dismissed, like, bye. So, um, so the Enneagram has really shown me the things that I'm afraid of and where I don't actually need to let that fear drive my life anymore. That's powerful. Good stuff there like that, you know, telling, not being, trying to like ignore your ego or maybe some of the thoughts or fears that pop up. Um, but simply becoming aware of them and just, you know, moving them to the side, letting them come through and continuing on with life. 
because they're just a signpost, you know, just because you see a signpost doesn't mean the signpost is real or authentic to your experience right now. It's just occurring because there might be something interacting or triggering. Right. And the Enneagram is really a unique system because it doesn't just tell you, hey, here's your fear and here's your desire. It also shows you that we take on energies of other types, other numbers when we're stressed. Um, if you look at the Enneagram symbol, there are like arrows, lot of numbers connected to at least two other numbers. And so you're always the same core type. I'm always going to be a two, no matter what, there are different levels of healthiness and unhealthiness. So I can look at literally look in a book and be like, wow, I am in an unhealthy space right now. And then we intuitively move to take on the energy of a stress number. So I go to eight. Uh, eights are really good at setting boundaries, by the way. So um, I take on the energy of an eight and stress and that helps me survive. It helps me set boundaries um, and say no to things that I need to say no to. And then we also move to, or we take on the energy of another number and when we're feeling secure. And so I, I can channel the energy of a four, a lot of the creativity. So my type is typically focused outward on what other people are thinking. And the type four is typically focused inward on what they're thinking. And so that move helps me then that's where I access my creativity because I have to be focused on my own inside thoughts. Like I took a playwriting class in my theater graduate program and I had to make sure I was in a really healthy space in order to write my play because I was not responding to everyone else's text. I was not doing things for other people. I had to focus on my own self, know that was okay and focus on the creativity and the story and the plot and the characters that I was creating. And so that was a really interesting space to be in. Um, I really enjoy that space. It's just a lot of work to get there. And so that's what's really cool about Enneagram. It talks about your feeling, your thinking, and your doing center and how you use those. It talks about how you move to stress and how you move to security and how every move on the Enneagram brings more balance. That's the whole goal of it is to be a more balanced human. And the other goal that I would say is it allows you compassion to realize that not everyone else sees the world the same way as you do. And so I can't change how I see, but I can change with what, how I, what's the, this is a quote from Suzanne Stabile. I'm going to butcher it, but you can't change how you see, but you can change what you do with how you see. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm always going to take in the world through feeling and want to do something about it, I can realize other people might take in the world through doing or through thinking. They might be more focused on social justice and seeing power dynamics in the world. They, some people really prefer to keep the world really peaceful and harmonious and they, they are afraid of disconnection. Some people are afraid of, they're always looking for the next threat on the, the horizon and they're looking for worst case scenarios and they're trying to protect their own people from them. Like these are things that people automatically see um, and so if I'm working with a group of people at work and realizing not everyone's going to prioritize relationships the same way I do, because I prioritize relationships sometimes out of fear <laughs> of, of being rejected, whereas other people are going to prioritize different things because of their fear and their desire and how they see the world. And so it gives me so much more compassion realizing they're not wrong, they're just different. And I have so much to learn from all the other perspectives they offer things that I need and, and that also my perspective is still valid and I have something to bring to the table. That's awesome. I like that. When you, it's just funny when you talked about like social justice and seeing power moves in the world, like I, that's how I know I am at least. Yeah. Might, uh, some people 
might be peacekeepers as much as I love harmony and peace. Like I personally, when I see shit going down, I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's keep the peace and harmony by just forgetting all this other stuff that might be happening. Um, uh-huh. And I can see where that triggers power dynamics and stuff like that. And it brings back a solidarity, you know, when you keep the mind of, okay, you got to give people grace, just like you give yourself grace in these scenarios. So, you know, people don't see eye to eye um, and that's just fine. That's just life. And that's something I live by because, you know, I look at my conversations and perspectives with my family, my friends, our loved ones, and business partners, like we come to disagreements all the time. And one of the most powerful things I've learned is that just because you disagree with somebody or you don't see eye to eye does not mean you don't love and respect them. Um, And I know that I had a huge problem with that when I was a kid, just because I would, I was so uh, persistent on pointing out uh, power moves in the background, if it be politically or in the world or other things happening in, in big industries that other people just think are normal. And I might say, Hey, now, maybe did you consider this? Whoa, whoa, man, you can't, can't question these people. They're the, they're the people. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, why so? Why is that a problem? You know? So um, when I was little, I used to take that very personally. Now that I'm older, I kind of, I run on that give people grace mindset now. And uh, I just find enjoy. I find pure enjoyment and the, the interesting perspectives that people share and how we can work through them and use maybe our different numbers and where we're at in Enneagram to work together. Because like, yeah. like I said, it's all connected in some sort of way. And based upon our stress levels, where we're going, we turn to different numbers um, in those scenarios. Yeah. And using empathy. I think I've also been studying a lot of Brene Brown and, and she talks a lot about empathy and how that is the antidote to shame and, um, and, and being able to say, I, I might not see the world the same way that you do, but I understand what it's like to be angry and I hate feeling angry and let's do something about this situation, you know, like, and, and also being able to say like, wow, like Skylar, you're seeing these, these power dynamics. Like I was completely unaware living in a different plane of reality. Didn't know, but that's really, that's really great that you pointed that out because that makes me think that there's something I need to consider that maybe I was missing before. Beautiful way. That's a beautiful way to go about it right there. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to leave uh, our listeners with today before we hop on? Maybe one more quote or one more piece of information that can give them solidarity and peace during this situation we're facing here on earth. Yeah, I would say there's a quote, um, Suzanne Stabile, she is the author, co-author of The Road Back to You and the author of The Path Between Us. And she is, um, I, I learned from her about the Enneagram and she's probably my biggest Enneagram influence. And so she has a friend named Brian McLaren. I hope this is the person who said it, but um, he says, what you focus on determines what you miss. And I think it's a really great quote because we all see the world through a certain lens. But if you're looking through a lens, that means there's things on the outside of the lens that you're missing. So mindfulness teaches you to stop and notice what you're focused on. So in this, in this um, fearful and anxiety producing time, there are times where I, I have to stop and notice what I'm focusing on. And I'm focusing on all of the anxiety that's happening right now, or I'm focused on all of the fear or the anger, um, right? Well, that means that's where I'm focusing right in this minute. So that, what does that mean that I'm missing? Maybe I'm missing the beautiful day outside. Maybe I'm missing 
the cute dog upstairs who is so excited to like love on me, right? So there are small moments that we have to be grateful for and gratitude scientifically changes how our brain chemicals work. And so like doing a gratitude practice is really, really helpful in, um, in creating a more, in, in reducing your anxiety actually, like chemically. Yeah. So I would say in this time of anxiety and fear, take, have courage to, to stop and ask yourself, what am I focusing on? Um, is this true? What am I missing? And see if you can give yourself a little bit bigger of a picture that might help you find some peace, um, some gratitude, something to calm you down a little bit, something to find something positive to focus on because as much fear there is in the world, there's always good too. Facts, big praise to that. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on. Everybody, make sure you go give Elizabeth a follow here on LinkedIn. I'm gonna put her LinkedIn link in below as well as her coacher, or not a coacher, but her teacher link for uh, the Enneagram stuff as well. So you can go reach out to her and get to learn more in depth and maybe she'll even be your guide and mentor in this experience. So thank you, Elizabeth, for hopping on once again. We hope that everybody has a beautiful day and stay as peaceful in this time. Yeah, thanks, Skylar. Have a great day. Take care, y'all.